Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to Embodied Astrology. My name is Renee. I am a consulting astrologer, a somatic educator, and a multidimensional human here to offer some ideas about Aries season in 2023. I'm recording on Tuesday, March 21st. It is just past noon Pacific time. Tuesday is Mars's day and Mars is Aries ruler. And I'm looking at the chart of the moment, and Mars has just risen on the Eastern Ascendant, and it's midday, so the equinox sun, the Aries sun, is high up in the sky, the highest point it will reach today. The moon is there. It's the first of two new moons in Aries season, the second of which will be the last day of this season, and also the first of six eclipses that will now occur over the next two years in Aries and Libra seasons. As I'm coming to this equinox Aries season new moon chart, Mars is rising. It's a Cancer rising chart and Mars, Aries ruler, will be moving into Cancer in just a couple of days on the 25th. Now, Mars has been in Gemini for a long time, much longer than Mars typically stays in a sign because it was retrograde in Gemini over the course of several months. And so the shift that Mars is about to make is an important one. And just like any shift that any of us make, the new energy that Mars is about to enter as it ingresses Cancer is not a newness that comes from nowhere. It's a newness that emerges from a past experience. So over the last seven months or so, Mars entered Gemini in late August last year. We have been working with an energetic of attention and action and focus and force, heat, passion, desire, maybe aggression and conflict. These are key words for Mars. Mars in our bodies resonates as projecting energy, outward moving, externalizing um, directionality. And Mars has been in Gemini, a sign of variability and two minds at minimum. Uh, Gemini wants a lot of different options. And when Mars is in Gemini, there can be a dispersed or distracted kind of focus. There can also just be a wealth of options and opportunities or ideas or a sense of uh, anxiety as we try and organize and sort through the many different needs in our lives, the many different focal points for attention. The retrograde that Mars... Um, I want to like say experienced, but actually we experienced Mars's retrograde here from Earth. Mars is just doing its own thing in its orbit, but because of our position in relationship to Mars and the Sun, it appears to retrograde every two, two and a half years or so. Anyway, I digress. Over the course of this retrograde, an important aspect has happened several times, and this is a square that Mars has formed to the planet Neptune in Pisces. Neptune is an outer planet. It has been in Pisces since 2011. It will be there for another couple of years. And outer planets often are symbols of a collective experience or the general atmosphere or collective vibe. And particularly with Neptune and Pisces, Neptune is 
very much related with Pisces or associated to it. A lot of astrologers consider Neptune to be Pisces' modern ruler. Um, so especially with Neptune and Pisces, there are a lot of associations and symbols that really directly speak to the collective vibe. And when I say vibe, I mean the energy. Like you walk into a room where people have just been talking about something that is painful. Let's say you walk in in a moment where there's silence, but the energy of the conversation is thick in the air and you can feel it. You can feel that there's a tone of seriousness or pain. And that is different than if you walk into a room where people have been telling jokes, right? And then there's a moment of silence. You can feel it in your body. You can feel it in your gut. It's in the atmosphere. Pisces is a disperse kind of vibe. Pisces is a water sign. It is a mutable sign. The element of water in astrological symbolism pertains to the emotional experience and mutability as a quality uh, of signs is a changing quality. It's a quality in flux and it doesn't stay still. So Pisces as an energetic, uh, one of the ways that you might think about it is as the emotions that move continuously and especially the emotional states that transmit or pass between people in a diffuse and disperse kind of way. This is a vibe. This is a feeling that you get when you are having a conversation with someone and you say something unbeknownst to you that is a, triggering a sore spot for them and like all of a sudden their affect shifts. So Neptune in Pisces speaks to a collective vibe on one hand. And in our personal charts, it can also uh, help reveal how the current vibe or the atmosphere or the general kind of emotional, uh, diffuse emotional state that we are experiencing and swimming in is affecting us, how it's working on us. And so you might consider where Pisces is in your chart, where Neptune is currently transiting and think about since 2011, how this part of your chart has been receiving this influence. I know for me, I'm a Leo rising, Pisces takes my eighth house. The eighth house is a place of intimacy and vulnerability and trust, and it has a lot to do with the inner and psychological experience. And since 2011, I have been learning so much about emotional attunement in situations of vulnerability and trust. I've been learning a lot about my own boundaries and lack of boundaries, and I've been learning a lot about my deep psychology. And the lessons that I am getting, that I am working with, are so directly related to the collective and what is happening in the vibe of the communities that I am participating in. So a lot of conversations in my general atmosphere about boundaries, about intimacy, about vulnerability, about trust, about the somatic aspects of these parts of experience have totally influenced me and opened me up and stimulated me to learn. And the vibe of my atmosphere, kind of what I'm experiencing in the diffuse emotional plane of my reality is seeping into my personal life. It's definitely interacting with the uh, points of focus and attention and relationships and events that are happening in my life. 
So over the course of the last seven months, Mars has been transiting Gemini and it has been retrograde. This is a symbol of a lot of different possible points of attention, uh, many paths that we could take. This could be definitely a symbol of a kind of distracted energetic in the body. Which way do I go? Which way do I turn? I have to do 10,000 things. They were all due yesterday, that kind of thing. As Mars has been squaring Neptune, the dynamic between Gemini and Pisces feels like it has been really stirred up. So here we have a dynamic between an air sign and a water sign. Gemini, like Pisces, is a mutable sign, but it's mutable air. Air in the astrological element relates with thinking, with consciousness, with words and language and concepts, information as it travels through the pathways of um, in informational conduits, so to speak. The 90 degree aspect of a square often is spoken about as a hard aspect and one that brings challenge and conflict. I agree with that a lot and I also feel like that's not the end. In my experience of hard aspects is that the conflict that gets generated or the challenge that emerges, like everything in astrology and I would say everything in nature, wants to heal. And so when something comes up for attention, it is ready to be looked at. And attention can shift intention. And in our bodies, um, and I know a lot of body workers and a lot of movement uh, workers and artists listen to this podcast, and so you all know this experience, our injuries can be our greatest teachers. And yes, it sucks to feel pain, but often the pain that we feel is a final manifestation of an ongoing imbalance that is like a lifetime or more old. If we're thinking physically and posturally, I know that many of my injuries actually are because of my own genetics and entrainment as a mover, uh, me mimicking and watching and learning how to move uh, from other bodies or patterns of imbalance that have been present and in development in my body for a long time. And then something will happen and that will be the trigger. That will be the injury. But the injury isn't actually about that moment. It's about a deeper pattern. But because I got injured, now I have to deal with the deeper pattern. I have to look at the underlying systemic issues that created this injury to begin with. With the square between Mars and Neptune, we have a challenge or a conflict of action and attention. Mars is a projecting action-oriented energy. This is an Aries season reading. I'm gonna be talking about Mars in relationship to both of its uh, domicile signs, Aries and Scorpio, but in particular related with Aries as a sign that speaks to um, the, uh, the concept of self, the I concept, and the part of our beings <laughs> that resonates with selfness and individuatedness and bodiliness and self, uh, uh, kind of self-orientation. Mars in relationship to that energetic has a lot of uh, movement in, in our bodies and in our experiences that directs the self. And so 
what do I want? What should I do? What does this mean for me? These kinds of full body experiences, they're not just thoughts. They are sensations. They are physiological patterns. It's when, when you're in a space of, you know, what should I do? Wondering which direction do I go? There can be tension in the body. There can be a kind of quizzical or uh, focused look in the face, right? We might be feeling certain kinds of anxiety. We might be in a back and forth kind of feeling in our own uh, energetic and somatic states. In square to Neptune, we have a diffuse and pervasive emotional state that's also kind of confusing. Uh, Neptune is often given the key word of confusion, as well as obscuration or fogginess. Neptune and Pisces can both feel quite sleepy. They can be really dreamy. They can want comfort and attention and affection uh, and be very sensitive and sensitized emotionally in ways that aren't necessarily self-aware or self-responsible. Uh, Neptune and Pisces both relate with boundarylessness and non-containment, right? The atmosphere is uh, contained in, in the Earth's orb, but we are contained inside of the atmosphere. And so this is a pervasive kind of um, situation and effect. My sense of Mars squaring Neptune over the last several months, and again, I um, didn't give you the dates, but this has been a three-time event. And so Mars uh, squared Neptune for the first time in October while it was traveling direct, and then shortly after in November, after it had stationed retrograde, and then it uh, just recently squared Neptune again March 14th. That's right. That was the quarter square in Sagittarius. And that's also the week that Mercury and the sun in Pisces uh, were also squaring Mars. And so we had a triple presence of Neptune, Mercury, and the sun in Pisces all square with Mars in Gemini. So my sense of what this aspect has been about, um, or what one way that I would read this aspect is that over the last seven months, there has been a process of needing to discern around intention and attention. And Mars really speaks to, the, to this intention and attention. Why are we doing what we're doing? Where are we focused? What are we pointing at? Another key word for Mars is motivation. What propels us and drives us into action? Now, Mars square with Neptune doesn't know <laughs> what its motivation is. And just because you don't know something in your mind or in, in clarity in your consciousness doesn't mean that it is not functioning. So there may have been motivations and intentions that were unclear to us. All of us have unclear motivations and intentions, right? We are driven by all kinds of things. We are driven by um, genetics and DNA programming. We are driven by our moods. 
we are driven by our fears. We're driven by our desires. And a lot of what drives us remains in the realm of the unconscious until there is some occasion to bring it into consciousness. And this is my sense of what Mars square Neptune has been about, bringing something into consciousness that needs to be worked out when it comes to attention, intention, and motivation. Think back to last August, end of last August until mid-March. What has been happening for you? If you happen to know where the Gemini and Pisces placements are in your chart and you work with your chart, bring in those themes. What has been happening for you just in general in terms of your own energy, your focus, attention, intention, and motivation? What has become more clear for you in the last seven months, potentially through a series of events that helped remove or clear away some kind of obscuration, what has become more clear for you about your unclarity? In my personal life, I've had a number of situations emerge that have helped me see how my motivation uh, to move towards certain relational dynamics is coming from a place in me that is not totally centered and not really connected to my own healing and my own maturity. And over the last seven months, I have had to, because of situations arising outside of me in relationship, I've had to really work with an inner sense of confusion. I've had to process a lot of emotion and particularly I've had to process a lot of emotion that corresponds with Neptunian and Piscean states like grief and confusion and overwhelm. I've had to look at my own anxiety patterns and the way that my distraction uh, fits in with these circumstances that I was talking about. And just at the uh, last aspect that Mars made in mid-March, um, two situations that kind of resounded uh, for me with these energetics both reached states of uh, the close of a chapter. Situations might go on for the rest of our lives. I don't know what's coming next, but significant chapters closed in the same week. And the circumstances of closure allowed me to see in a new way what had been obscured and confusing for me before. And it allowed me to see how I, as an actor, uh, was also complicit in obscuration and confusion. I was unclear in myself, so how could I be clear with others? Leo rising. <laughs> 8th house, 11th house, right? I've got an uh, internal kind of intimacies and then my friendships and, and relationships in a broader sense. So what's been happening for you in your life? Have you felt any new kinds of clarity that may have also revealed to you deeper sources of confusion or deeper sources of obscuration or deeper motivations that may be anchored in, uh, in, emo in an emotional state or in some kind of collective uh, trauma or trigger or systemic situation. 
As we move into Aries season, Mars is now separating from its square with Neptune and it is moving into the sign Cancer. Cancer is a cardinal sign as is Aries. Uh, Aries and Cancer are two signs on the cardinal cross. The other two signs include Libra and Capricorn. These are signs or seasons that begin with the quarterly markings of the year. Aries season begins at the vernal equinox. Libra season begins at the September equinox. Cancer and Capricorn begin with the solstices. Tropical astrology, which is the form of astrology I'm interpreting right now, is not based on constellations. If you've never heard this before, please hear it and tell your friends. Tropical astrology is not based on the location of the stars. It is based on the location of Earth in its orbit around the sun. And the events of the equinoxes and the solstices are events that happen predictably every single year at the same time, like clockwork. And these events have to do with mechanics, <laughs> with physics. This is a place in space that the Earth passes every single year at the vernal equinox. We have a span of a few days where day and night are equal lengths. And the equinox is a time of shifting light. Here in the northern hemisphere where I am, we are moving out of winter and into spring and I can feel it. <laughs> Thank the goddesses. I can feel it. Oh my gosh. It has been dark. It has been rainy. It has been kind of miserable. I'm a Leo. I like the summer, right? Not a winter baby. Just a couple of days ago, all of a sudden, all these yellow flowers are blooming. The dandelions are pushing up. Dandelions are Aries season medicine. They clear the liver. They help stagnation move out of the body. They embody an Aries energetic. They've got this deep, strong taproot. They'll grow anywhere. They're so resilient. They're so tenacious. They're fierce. They're also really friendly and joyful. They poke up out of the ground with their big yellow heads. Um, I take a walk almost every single day, at least four or five days a week, I take the same walk or a variation of it. And it's one of the uh, most important astrology teachers to me at this time in my life is this particular walk that I take. Every day, something is a little bit different. And I notice how the seasons change. And it is remarkable to me that like clockwork at the beginning of each new zodiac season, my walk, the environment on the walk that I take is absolutely reflecting the beginning of that season. And so Aries season is arriving and you know who's out now? The woodpeckers with their red heads and their sharp pointy beaks banging their faces <laughs> into these trees. And they're so Aries. They're so Mars-like. I love them, right? So we are in uh, a moment of Earth's evolution, its yearly evolution, and we are part of Earth. Our bodies also are experiencing Aries season. I notice in my body, as soon as Aries season arises, my face gets flushed. It's so funny. It, all of Aries season, I've got these red cheeks. Um, I start to feel more energy in my body. Coming out of Pisces season, it's a really remarkable that I'm like, oh, I think I want to get out of bed today, actually. That's a shift. So 
that was a diversion, but how are you feeling? <laughs> how, how are you noticing Aries season? This is more, in my opinion, what astrology is actually about than looking at a computer and looking at a chart. Astrology is a language for earthlings. It's an earth-based language. It helps us contextualize our human experience. It's a technology and um, a, a codex that we have been given to communicate with our environment. How are you feeling? All right. So Mars is moving into Cancer on March 25th, and this is a big deal. And Mars as a planet that is related with Aries and Scorpio, two energies that can both be kind of intense, <laughs> sometimes a little cutting, maybe, maybe just sometimes like a little harsh. <laughs> Um, Aries is often described as warlike warriors. Mars can certainly bring an embodiment of a warrior. So this warrior energy is moving into Cancer, a sign that is associated with the parental instinct, with the desire to nurture, and especially to care for what is tender and fragile. Cancer is cardinal water. Water, again, is emotion. Cardinality begins things. It's, it initiates. The beginning of our emotional bodies is in our bonds. Water molecules bond together, and this is how puddles and lakes and rivers form. In our bodies, our blood pools, and then the veins grow around the blood. First, there is the sentiment, and then there is the containment for the sentiment. And this is really what cancer wants and needs. It wants a safe, secure container for what can be included on the inside, which hopefully feels yummy and cozy and sweet. We got a warrior moving into this place in a couple of days. I had an astrology teacher once describe Mars and Cancer to me as a warrior wearing an apron. And she described it to me like this to tell me something about myself because I am a Mars and Cancer native. So I want to talk a little bit about Mars and Cancer as uh, pop astrology or traditional astrology sometimes positions it. And then I want to share from my own experience and offer also some anecdotes um, of what I've experienced as a consulting astrologer and also as an astrology teacher. So Mars is considered to uh, be afflicted in Cancer. It's uh, in traditional astrology, it is not considered to be Mars' favorite place to be. This is the place where Mars finds its fall. The idea of a warrior in an apron is kind of like a funny image, right? So we have a being that is trained and primed to battle putting on a frilly little apron, that's how I imagine it at least, is a frilly apron, and I don't know, making some pancakes or something. So we have a paradoxical, idiosyncratic kind of energy. All well and good, but as a queer and feminist person who definitely strives to take an intersectional approach to my interpretations, for me, I feel like I want to question the 
societal priorities and assumptions that would be given to Mars's domicile signs, Aries and Scorpio, and also would be given to Mars in general in the sense that we would normalize Mars's desire to fight and to separate. So with Mars in relationship to Aries and Scorpio, we have a um, kind of encapsulation, right? You can think about the planets as the... Um, See, here we get into the problem with Western astrology, tropical astrology, which has also been developed with empire, right? And so astrology has been cultivated with the colonial violence and patriarchal violence of the Greeks and the Romans and the Europeans. And it has been a language that has been written primarily by men and European men and Christian men. So in a lot of the associations that are given in astrology, they're given like a lot of things coming out of the colonial world where there's this voice of authoritative neutrality. And it's like, well, obviously this is what we want. This is normal. But then normal is never looked at and normal is never questioned. So the reason I said that is because I was about to say Mars is the ruler, right? So we have planets in their rulership or in their domicile, in the signs where they are at home. And so just that language in and of itself is um, promoting a, a colonial view or a hierarchical and objectifying view of the planet's energetics, which in my experience working with planets, they don't give a shit about what humans um, prioritize a lot of times, like these ideas of rulership. You know, th this is a human idea. Anyway, okay, lots of digressions this episode. So Mars as um, the inhabitant, the guardian, the, um, let's say, say like the star of the show of, of Aries and Scorpio is really natural in those places. In Aries, Mars can be strong, it can be muscular, it can be forceful. Aries definitely represents the yang or the masculine energetic. And let me be clear that yang and masculine do not uh, co-identify with penises. They do not um, insinuate a fixed point. So there's no final masculine right? There, there's a spectrum of masculinity and anybody can express these qualities. And in some bodies, it can be way overblown, right? Like uh, machismo to the max. I mean, it's extra. It's like nobody needs that much masculinity. You're terrorizing yourself and everybody else. And then there can be the opposite end of the spectrum, right? We can go way into a yin space, way into the feminine, um, or what we might call the feminine. And this is a fluid space. If there's no fixed points, there's no fixed goals, but there are potentials of manifestation. 
So Mars in relationship with Aries might be this kind of forward-moving muscular presentation, and Mars in association with Scorpio might be a deeply penetrating um, kind of like mm, Scorpio again is a water sign, it's an emotional sign, and we can weaponize our emotions and we can also be incredibly sharp and laser-like with our emotional astuteness, right? A lot of really smart psychologists are Scorpio people or detectives or something like that. So Mars has a kind of penetrating quality. It wants to assert force. In Cancer, this can be kind of idiosyncratic because what Cancer wants to do is nurture and contain. Cancer's energetic is an instinct to care for. Mars might have an instinct to cut away from, right? To uh, enforce something. And so there can be some confusion there. And from inside of a Mars Cancer experience, my lifetime of experience with Mars and Cancer, I will say that it can be definitely a lifelong learning to realize the ways that I mobilize around my emotions. And I have been told and I have also experienced for myself quite a lot that when I get angry, it's really unclear. And so Mars, Mars as a planet that might relate with anger in Cancer could have a problem because Cancer wants to care for people, wants people to feel good. And when you feel angry about something that can be scary, oh, I don't wanna hurt someone's feelings, like I don't want them to go away. There might be a tendency then to do the crab-like thing of Cancer, to wall off right, and get kind of cranky, get your claws out, but it's not necessarily a direct confrontation with, hey, you did this, this is how I feel, I need to have a conversation, this is my boundary. And that's an opposition to Mars and the sign of its dignity in Capricorn, um, the opposite of Cancer, where it might have an easier time expressing that kind of energy. However, Mars and Cancer can also bring a lot of intention and attention and motivation to caring. I feel that all the time. I feel that in my work. I feel that in my relationships. I feel that as a spiritual calling, I am driven to care and I am driven to learn how to care better. And in my process of trying to care and learning to care, I am really motivated. And do I do it all the time the, the right way? Absolutely not. But I keep moving towards it because it's something that drives me. Mars and Cancer can also have a particular kind of velocity in emotion. And this placement in traditional astrology, they'll talk a lot about people being kind of hysterical or unhinged. And I certainly have experienced that in my own life, that intense emotions come up and it's like, so uncomfortable to be feeling uncomfortable emotions that I kind of fall apart. That is true. And Mars and Cancer is also, I would say, a genius at finding ways to expel emotion because emotion needs catharsis. 
And throughout my whole life, I have been attracted to somatic practices. I've engaged myself in cathartic crying releases. I absolutely know that exercise and physical movement is really important for me because otherwise I get a backlog. So when Mars moves into Cancer and it's Aries season, and we have a whole bunch of stuff going on in Aries, not only do we have today's new moon and April 19th's new moon and solar eclipse, we also have the planets Mercury and Jupiter in Aries, we have the centaur planet Chiron, we have the asteroid Vesta, and the dwarf planet Eris, all in Aries. This is a lot of energy in Aries. Without going into interpretations and descriptions of all of these placements, I'm going to synthesize them in a way that makes sense to me. I want to say that what's contained in Aries right now speaks to the experience of being an individuated body on Earth at this moment. Aries is a symbol of the individuated, differentiated body and the sense of self. To be a body on planet Earth right now is terrifying for a huge percentage of bodies. There is a very small percentage of bodies who get to live in 2023 and feel safe and secure in their experience. And those bodies in large part are responsible for terrorizing the massive percentage, the huge percentage of bodies that do not get to feel safe in their experience. There are so many reasons why people don't get to feel safe in their experience. And a lot of them come down to embodied identity and social location. Embodied identity are aspects of our identity that we do not choose, that we can't get away from, but inherently, intrinsically, and inescapably shape our experience. For example, I was born in a body that has a particular chromosomal makeup and genitals that I was assigned female at birth. I was born with a vagina, which in and of itself is a biological condition. I'm a person who menstruates. I'm a person who has some amount of fertility. I could have had a child if I wanted and chose not to. That's my body. That kind of body and other bodies that might be similar to mine, we need certain kinds of care. We need certain kinds of consideration. Bodies that bleed need the fucking week off when we have our periods. We need to rest. That's a biological, physiological situation. Maybe not all bodies that bleed need the week off. Mine certainly does. Thank you. Please. Um, That might be different for a body that has a different chromosomal makeup. They might have it. Bodies with penises and more testosterone than mine might have different physiological needs. There are different health needs. The biological, physiological situation of our bodies is different than gender. I was assigned female at birth. And female is a whole fucking package that comes with thousands of years of patriarchy and oppression that comes with a whole uh, lineage and volumes of of books, of ideas about how 
I should be and how I should act and how I should relate to other people assigned female and then how I should relate to people assigned male and what kind of careers I can have and how I can express myself and what kind of clothes I should have and what my chest should look like and should I shave my body hair and how should I wear the hair on my head and should I wear makeup and what's going to happen to me as I age. None of that shit has anything to do with how I feel myself or know myself as an individuated self. That's all stuff that's been put on me by society. And it totally shapes my experience because society is shaped around an experience of being uh, separated into binary oppositional groups of men and women, male and female, the assigned genders that are actually boxes to stick people in that do not uh, at all encapsulate or provide the diversity of experience that life on planet Earth actually is. Nothing on planet Earth is binary. Nothing on planet Earth only expresses in two ways. This planet is a wealth of variability. Evolution goes in limitless directions. How we express gender has changed uh, across the world over eras in many different cultures. Gender has been expressed in so many different ways. There have been plenty of societies and cultures that do not treat people differently fundamentally because of their genitals. In current society, gender binary is a weight. It's an oppressive weight that is put on all of our bodies. And it dictates so much of how we get to experience ourselves. The same goes for pigment. How much melanin someone has in their skin has everything to do in our society with how they are treated. We live in a world that has been shaped on anti-blackness. We live in a world that has been shaped on hundreds of years of enslavement and extraction from people who have more melanin in their skin, largely people who uh, reside and emerge from locations in the global south. So the global north, full of people who have less pigment in their skin, have now become a group of people who dominate and oppress other groups of people who have more melanin in their skin. Melanin in the skin does not express someone's spirit necessarily. How a person knows themselves in their own relationship to their feeling of who they are. Yes, it might be deeply shaped by culture. Yes, it might be deeply shaped by ancestry. But the shit that society puts on somebody because of their pigment is not emerging from that person. That's not their expression of themselves. That's them coping, right? That's them surviving or assimilating within conditions that have been shaped around a pigmentocracy. Feel into your own embodied identity. We all have so many different layers of social location and embodied identity, so many different aspects of our experiences that are unchosen, unearned, undeserved, 
so many different parts of ourselves that have been shaped and crafted by what is outside of us that does not actually emerge from our own sense of personal expression. So life on planet Earth right now, to get back to Aries, um, life on planet Earth for bodies right now is an incredibly precarious, really terrifying experience. People are fractured. People are in strife. There is so much discord between people because of uh, centuries, millennia, of patterns being built around our bodily expressions, our nationalities, our languages, our religions, etc. As a kind of global whole, it has not been cultivated or nurtured that we have tolerance and curiosity for one another. What has been cultivated and nurtured is warlike aggression and reactivity and an intensity around defending and protecting fictitious lines of difference called borders. The planetary polyp in Aries, as I read it, is definitely a symbol of ongoing and increasing aggression and war. It's a symbol of increasing and aggression, uh, increasing aggression and uh, hierarchical, uh, dominating machismo. There's a lot of big dick energy out there right now. You know what I mean? And I'm not talking about penises. I am talking about people acting like they are the only ones in the room and that their opinions are the best opinions and the only ones that matter. And because of however they feel, they get to impose their ways of being on other people. Anyway, Mars is moving into Cancer and it's squaring all of these placements in Aries over the course of the next six weeks or so. Over Aries season, I want to suggest that we will be well served to work with our emotional volatility and reactivity and also to be um, discerning and a little bit, I would say, protective of our own space because other people are going to be reactionary and volatile and the world is in a reactionary and volatile state. These next six weeks of Mars in Cancer may see an increase of intensity in water. I mean that literally at a time of climate crisis. And I also mean that symbolically and energetically when we think of water as the emotional element. So there may be an intensification in the emotional element. And this then provokes a challenge for individuals. Again, we have a square and it moves dynamically into individuated bodies, right? This is the energy of the square. Over the course of Aries season, it is likely, I think, that people are going to be pissed. And there are so many reasons to be pissed right now. Uh, right at the top of the list, 
we can be real pissed about the fact that so many people do not feel safe in their bodies because a very few people have taken up all of the space, all of the wealth, all of the resources, and are putting their energy out on everybody else, defining their lives. In our individuated bodies, there is warlike aggression coming towards us, especially if our bodies are queer or trans, if our bodies uh, birth or bleed, especially if you live in a body that has a higher degree of melanin, if your pigment is darker, if you live in a body that experiences dis disability or chronic illness or chronic condition, if you live in a body that's not peak age, if you are under 20 and over 60, there are so many reasons why you in your body might feel terrorized right now. Because on a global level, and certainly on an institutional and governmental level, you're not being looked out for. And there are forces that are actively trying to reduce support for you, that are actively trying to control you, that are actively trying to terrorize you, to take away your health care, your medical care, your choice. There are forces out there that are threatening to imprison you or put you to death if you choose to have an abortion, which you may need as a life-saving measure for yourself, or you may choose quite wisely because for whatever reasons, and the same people who are threatening to imprison you or kill you if you don't give birth to that child are also the same people who are going to reduce social services, cut school lunch, uh, not let teachers educate students, continue to fund uh, fossil fuels and the degradation of our environment, continue to cut uh, housing, continue to fund corporate blackmail. You know, it's like, what the fuck? There's a lot to be pissed about right now. There's a lot to be angry about. And our anger is healthy. If you're feeling angry, if you're feeling pissed off, that's good news. There's a lot to be pissed off about. Now, in our bodies, anger and stress are not such good news. They create chemical uh, waves in our bodies that contribute to breakdown of what nourishes and sustains us. The chemicals that are produced when we are in high tone sympathetic states, if we feel like we are being attacked, are chemicals that then increase inflammation, which in turn decrease mental function, decrease organ function, increase deterioration in our bodily tissues. So as Aries season continues, and as there is this ongoing square between Mars and Cancer and the Aries placements, I think we would be really well served to, first of all, remember that this is an opportunity for us to bring attention to what needs to be tended to. Anger is an important emotion. It alerts us that something is wrong. This is also an opportunity to activate, to become active, to put our intention and our focus towards what we care about, right? Mars and Cancer, to get motivated to care for each other. Care for each other. The more that we care for each other, the more resilient and stronger we all are. 
the more we care for one another and support one another to uh, receive the services that we need, to live freely in our bodies, able to express ourselves as we authentically desire and choose, the more people who can do that, the more liberated we all become. We don't need more boxes and punishment for people. We need more room for authentic expression and we need more practices around accountability when expressions rub on each other. Not more war, more conversation, more curiosity, more culture building. So this is an incredible opportunity to be activated. But there's also a danger here that we are reactionary. And certainly over the course of Aries season, there will be a lot of reactive energy in the atmosphere. And I want to say here that at the end of Aries season, as I mentioned, there's another new moon, and this is the first of six eclipses that will happen over the course of the next two years in Aries and Libra seasons. And five of these six eclipses are solar eclipses. So we have a lot of fire energy and a lot of opportunity for pretty groundbreaking changes in consciousness. I feel certainly hopeful as well as definitely terrified about what these eclipses are bringing in. After the nodal axis moves out of Aries and Libra, guess what? Neptune and then Saturn are moving into Aries. Neptune will be in Aries for about 13 years and Saturn will be there for three years. So the energy that I'm talking about right now is not an episode of like Aries season. This is the present and foreseeable future. Contending with the violence that has been put onto us, that has been built into us through the systems and structures that are historic, that have been built through dominant power over time, emerging from domination, deep patterns of domination, Aries and Mars are both related to masculinity. We live in a world that has been deeply shaped by patriarchy and misogyny, where there has been a fundamental split between those assigned male and those assigned female. And that split mirrors a split between uh, human and earth. There is an enormous split within the psyche and the spirit of humankind directly relating to colonial mindsets and, and religious mindsets, right? Monotheism, sky gods, the idea that God and then man have dominion over the earth. Bullshit. Humans have been around on this planet for 200,000 something years. The current era is what, like 2,000 something years. The earth, on the other hand, 4.5 billion years old. These are myths, but they shape our experiences. So we are living at a time where there is an opportunity to shift the human experience. But the opportunity is emerging because of intensification of old patterns. Eclipses speak to an evolutionary thrust. The present is shaped by the past. And in the present moment, when we awaken, when we become conscious of what's happening and how we got here, then we have an opportunity to make a different choice. And this is what eclipses symbolize. 
The north node, the ascending node of the moon, is currently in Aries, while the south node, or descending uh, node of the moon, is currently in Libra. The north node is a symbol of the evolutionary momentum. This is the direction we need to go. This is the hunger. This is the compulsion. This is the provocation. The south node is what got us here. So we are in a moment when the north node is moving from Taurus into Aries over the course of 2023. And this movement amplifies bodily experience and it amplifies the situation of bodies. And I include human bodies as well as animal bodies and plant bodies. I include the body of the earth. I include all living bodies. There is peril for life on planet earth right now. How did we get here? The south node in Libra has some cues around uh, binary oppositional ideas, male, female, black, white, heaven, hell, good, bad. The earth is infinite and limitless in its potentials. Everybody, every body has absolute access to expressing masculinity and femininity. Heaven and hell are right here on earth. We create them for each other. Good and bad are subjective. The idea that we can fit life into binaries is not only ridiculous and honestly idiotic, it is absolutely mediocre. It is so limiting. It is so unimaginative and uncreative. Low vibration, Aries and Libra axis, tells us that there are two options. You can have one or you can have two, but you can't have 14. And you certainly can't have pi, right? Like one or two, this is ridiculous. This is a human construction. Libra can also uh, certainly symbolize the notion of justice, and it's often associated with the law and with the scales of justice. If you, like me, live in the so-called United States or many other places on Earth, you might kind of scratch your head and think like, what justice? You know, what is the justice system? The justice system in the United States has been absolutely shaped by white supremacist patriarchy. It is not justice. It is a system that works in favor for the bodies who benefit from white supremacist patriarchy. And it's a system that continues to put the most amount of people in prison out of any country on earth. And it's a system that has translated enslavement into imprisonment and has built a huge population of uh, workforce, free labor, imprisoned labor, that's not justice. That's an intentional strategy. That's an oppressive strategy. Over the course of these eclipses, there is an opportunity for us to look at why we feel so terrorized, why there are the conditions of such deep inequality and imbalance that there are. Libra is a sign that wants balance, but it can also be a sign that is incredibly controlling because it wants things to be nice. And pleasant. And if something isn't nice and pleasant the way that somebody wants it to be, 
then there are consequences sometimes. And that's certainly how a Western European model justice system works. Some people want it nice and pleasant for them, and they will rig the system in order to maintain that. So over the course of these eclipses, how can we bring consciousness to this? And how can we bring consciousness to these states in ways that don't just fire us up and get us stressed out and produce unnecessary levels of destructive chemicals in our bodies, but how can we address these situations in ways that actually help facilitate more emotional intelligence, that help us come back into deeper balance, reciprocity, and harmony, that empower us as individuals to own our own experience and to express ourselves freely and authentically in ways that are also caring and accountable. The polarity between Aries and Libra reminds us that individuals in their individuated forms are constantly in relationship. There is no individual, period. There is no individual without the multitudes that created that individual. As soon as we become one, as soon as I am born into my earthly body, I am entirely dependent on you. The Aries-Libra axis is an axis of embeddedness, inescapable accountability, and affect. How do we affect each other? How do we balance with one another? How do we compromise? How do we consider? How do we collaborate? The Cancer-Capricorn axis is similarly a question of embeddedness. Where do we come from? What brought us here? With what brought us here, how do we build where we want to go? How can we work together to create and maintain the structures that will sustain, that will be sustainable? Today, at the new moon, the Asteroid series is also holding an important place on a cardinal cross, which is zero degrees Libra. Ceres is exactly opposite to the new moon. And tomorrow on March 22nd, Ceres is retrograding and Ceres will re-enter the sign Virgo. And on May 6th, I believe, Ceres stations direct at 23 degrees of Virgo. So this to me really brings in some deep wisdom around options that we have right now. Ceres in mythology is related to the earth goddesses and the grain goddesses, the great mother archetypes. You might know Ceres uh, in, in her Roman name as Ceres or in her Greek name as Demeter. Ceres is uh, also a descendant of the Anatolian great goddess Cybele and potentially also has a relationship to Isis. With the Earth Mother archetype, we uh, are drawn into this sense of relational embeddedness. And an important part of Ceres' story and the myth that is often uh, told about her uh, has to do with her politics of refusal. So in the very brief summarized abridged version of the myth, 
Uh, Ceres is the grain goddess. She's the earth goddess. And she has a beloved daughter who then is abducted and stolen or taken from her by her brother, who's in cahoots with her other brother. So she has one brother that's the god of the underworld and one, god, uh, one brother that's the god of heaven. And they conspire to abduct her daughter, uh, to make her daughter the wife, the, the consort or queen of the underworld god. Ceres doesn't know what happens at first. She's confused. Where did my daughter go? She uh, wanders around looking. And then with assistance from some of her divine friends, she finds out that actually her daughter was abducted. She goes to her brother, the god of gods, asks for her daughter's return. No help. Mm -mm, not listening to her. No empathy, no compassion for her plight. In her grief and in her despair, do you know what Ceres does? She leaves the world of the gods and she descends to earth. And she comes down to earth into a human form and into the form of a human who is um, a very humble human, an older woman, a servant woman. And in her humble human form, she searches for an opportunity to nurture and care. So I'm going to pause there before I go on with the story. Sirius is at zero degrees of Libra, opposing the Aries new moon. The zero degree points, Aries, Libra, Cancer, Capricorn, all relate with the cardinal axis. And the Aries point where the new moon is today, the day that I'm recording, March 21st, uh, is often called the Aries point. And this is a very critical degree point in the zodiac. The cardinal cross, um, the cardinal signs are often talked about as initiatory. They are rites of passage. And an initiation is a shift from one state to another. A rite of passage is a clear departure from one way of being into a new way of being. We go through rites of passage as maturation ceremonies. The configuration planetarily right now is pretty profound in the sense that three of the four cardinal angles are occupied. We have the new moon at the Aries point, we have Ceres at zero Libra, and we have Mars approaching the first degree of Cancer. There is a lot of dynamism right now. There is a lot of momentum for change. The new moon at the first degree of Aries describes a new idea about what being human is, a new idea about what it could feel like to live on Earth. Square to Mars and Cancer, what would it be like to live a life where I felt safe? What would it be like to live a life where the people around me felt safe and were safe? I could just pause there. Can you even imagine that? Honestly, I don't know if I can because I've lived my entire life feeling unsafe in my assigned female at birth body, in my petite assigned female body. Just that alone, I feel unsafe so much of the time walking out in the world. 
My father went to jail a couple of weeks after I was born for protesting at the Los Alamos nuclear plant in New Mexico. My entire life, there has been a threat of nuclear war. My entire life, the world has been at war. Huge defining periods of my life had to do with the war in Iraq. It had to do with the threat of war. It had to do with tension between the United States and some other country, all the different countries that the United States is involved in. I don't live in places that have been assaulted by war for generations, but my entire life has been shaped by war and I have never felt safe. My existence may be safe comparatively to some, but I have never felt safe. And I have never felt safe in large part because so many people are clearly unsafe, are terrorized, are so violated in their bodily experiences. None of us get to feel safe if everybody isn't safe. Can you even imagine what it would feel like to live to live in a body that feels safe. Can you even imagine what it would feel like to live in a body that felt free? That you could wake up in the morning and wear whatever you wanted. That if you wanted to dance in a certain way, you could. That it was okay for you to have desire. That it was okay for you to not wanna to go to school. Can you even imagine what it would feel like to live in a body that felt free to express itself? You can't, because we've never lived in that world. We have never lived in a world where people are actually free. Some people are free to go out there and express their big dick energy, but most people don't get to choose so much of how they express themselves. Can you even imagine what it would be like to live in a world where black people felt free, where queer people felt free, where trans people felt free? No, you can't imagine that because it hasn't happened. But we can call in the imagination. We can long for it. We can fill our bodies with the imaginal cells of possibility. We might not know what it looks like and we might not know how to get there, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. New moon, first degree of Aries, what is possible? Mars is moving from Gemini into Cancer. It's moving out of a square with Neptune. All the confusion that we feel in our earthly bodies, in our earthly lives, because the world has not been set up for us to feel free or safe. We live in the most beautiful place. This planet, so abundant, so much limitless possibility, so much food, so much resource, so much opportunity for pleasure. And yet we live in societies where we have to work all the time, where we don't get to enjoy relationship with one another. So many of us feel like, what's the fucking point? This kind of frustration and not knowing which way to go leads us to imagination. What could it be like? What would happen if I disrupted something just a little bit? What would happen if I refused? So Ceres at the first degree of Libra, moving retrograde, backing up into Virgo. 
but at the new moon, first degree of Libra opposition, square to Mars. To me, this feels like the, oh, this is not working. And not only is it not working for me, but it is not working for me because of someone else's intention moment. This is the moment when Ceres realizes that her brothers were in cahoots with the abduction of her daughter. This is her going, the fuck? You're my family. You just violated me and my daughter. And now you're refusing to help me. And now you're refusing to listen. What does she do? She leaves. She descends to earth. And she takes a humble form. And she looks for opportunities to nurture and to care. My read of this symbol is that right now, I need to descend to earth. I need to get out of my head, out of my ideas about how it could be like this or how it could be like that. I need to get into the practical material of my life and look for the opportunities that I have directly to care, to nurture, and to attend. Now, in her story, Ceres is found out. And when she's found out, she reveals herself as the great goddess and she demands that a temple be built for her. And then she goes into the temple and retreats and she stops growing grain. She remembers her divinity, or as she is remembered, she is seen in her divinity. She demands a temple. And then she retreats and she stops growing grain. I want to read this symbol right now as a descent into our bodies. And descent often gets a word that's a negative connotation and I'm not meaning it like that. I'm meaning a coming back into earth, back into our bodies, out of these life-negating terrorizing ideas, concepts, Libra rules, concepts, especially concepts around gender and relationship and justice, hierarchy, value, wealth, all of them, concepts, human fabrications, myths. We need to come onto earth, into our bodies, and look for opportunities to care, practically, tangibly, In our caring and in our nurturing, can we remember our own divinity? Can we remember our own divine right? And can we occupy our own temples? She stops growing grain. And then we have the conditions of scarcity. She effectively starves humankind and humans stop offering sacrifices to the gods. And that's what gets her fucking brother to pay attention. That's what gets Zeus to final, or Jupiter in the Roman myth, that's what finally gets him to be like, hmm, this is a problem. He didn't listen to her the first time. He was an accomplice. He actually was part of the strategy to violate her family 
to abduct her daughter. That was his idea. She comes to him in her pain, in her suffering, asking for help. He says no. He doesn't notice when she's gone. He doesn't care. He's not doing a thing. What finally gets him is when the sacrifices stop. Then he comes to the negotiating table. We have to come into our bodies, look for ways to care, tangibly and practically. Tangible, practical ways of caring for one another certainly could include sharing resources. Virgo is an earth sign. It is a sign that has to do with practical, tangible resources, food, money, shelter. The conditions for bodies to survive. Bodies need to be clean. They need an opportunity to bathe. They need beds that they can sleep in, roofs over their heads, places they can feel safe in. Do you have extra resource in your life? Are you hoarding resource in your life? Why? For what end? Is there a way that you can pitch in to help someone's day be a little bit easier? Is there a way you can join forces with movement that's already happening? and listen to the needs that are clearly being articulated by the people who need them and stop judging those needs in relationship to whatever fucking concepts are going around. Practical, tangible ways. How do we help each other? In our nurturing of one another and in our nurturing of the earth, because again, let's remember that Virgo is a sign of earth, practical, tangible care of the earth, we come back into our own divinity. And then we can practice a politics of refusal. When we know our own birthright, yes, we belong here on the earth. You know what? There's plenty. We don't need to fight each other. We can offer to one another. We don't need to continue to sacrifice to these gods of corporations and government and supremacy. We don't need to continue to offer to them our blood, our labor, our children, like whatever people are sacrificing. Politics of refusal, boycotts, such an effective mechanism for refusal. Refusing to go to work. Do you live, do you work for a company that has, uh, you know, transphobic policies? Does your company need you? Refuse to go in, right? Organize, organized labor, politics of refusal, work in collaboration, Mars and Cancer, get people together, figure out what you're all angry about, Aries. Then Zeus comes, or Jupiter comes back and he's like, okay, now I'll negotiate. He doesn't give Ceres what she wants, ultimately. He gives her half time with her daughter. There's way more to this story. There's way more to this story. There's all kinds of details that I'm leaving out. Anyway, Ceres as a symbol is often uh, related with the seasons and with the seasonal qualities of sometimes there's plenty and sometimes there's not. Sometimes it's winter, sometimes it's summer. And here too is also a symbol for us. The world's not going to be perfect. We're not going to get everything that we want but we need to know what we are fighting for. And Aries season this year feels like an opportunity to really fight for our rights, for our freedoms, 
and to remember that none of us have rights and none of us have freedom, really, if everyone doesn't. If people are being terrorized anywhere, then terror is everywhere. If you live in a body that has some amount of privilege or advantage because of your embodied identity, it is time for you to leverage that power for the benefit of those who don't have it. If you live in a body that has a penis and you identify as a man, you are needed right now. Your presence is really desperately needed and required for the liberation of people who live in bodies who don't have what you have and don't identify in the ways that you do, but have lots of other things and many other identities that could be wonderful and generative and fun for you too. Heteropatriarchy doesn't work for you either. It keeps you in a box. It keeps you conscripted to the same status quo. It keeps your options limited. And it also keeps you in a place of potential mistrust and lack of intimacy and lack of true connection and lack of ability to be emotional or like wear nail polish. Come on, get on board. My fellow white bodied brethren and kin, those of us living in white bodies, come on, we have work to do. We have so much work to do. It is so hard for white people to get uncomfortable, to look at how we have been conditioned to avoid our own responsibility and accountability in the ongoing, in the ongoing, it has never stopped, terrorization of people with pigment in their skin, black and brown people. It doesn't matter if you didn't choose it. It doesn't matter if you're descendant of people who also didn't choose it. You live in a body now where your body still has advantage and privilege. And it's when we use our bodies and we use our voices that change can happen. The labor isn't only on the people who are being affected the worst. We have to pick it up. How do we do this? We do it by self-reflection. This is Aries energy. Who am I? What am I really? Am I the name that somebody gave me? Or am I this feeling inside of my own body? Am I this knowing of my own source, of my own divinity? You contain multitudes, right? This is the meme that's going around. You contain multitudes. You are not the flattened box of an identity that you never asked for. All right, so I'm going to finish this episode with um, some reading. I want to call in the support <clears throat> of others who I think articulate these principles really beautifully and probably better than me. And then I want to offer an embodiment practice. <clears throat> So the first reading I want to offer is from this really, this really beautiful book. Um, I've just recently started reading it. I'm only a few chapters in. It's called The Flowering Wand, Rewilding the Sacred Masculine by Sophie Strand. I don't know Sophie Strand, but I follow her on Instagram. And 
wow, this person is smart. They really um, bring so many different threads together and they're such an incredible writer. This is from chapter three, Between Naming and the Unknown. Adam's final act of naming is to name his wife Eve, inaugurating the religious basis for the masculine's ownership over the feminine. What we name, we often feel we own. What we name, we feel we understand well enough to name. And when we believe we have arrived at understanding, we stop asking questions. We close ourselves off from surprise. Naming can easily be used as a tool of oppression. Invading the Americas, European missionaries and conquistadors erased whole people and languages, whole peoples and languages, forcing the surviving populations to adopt Christianized names and a new language, simultaneously disappearing and reinforcing their trauma. When Europeans went on to enslave indigenous and African people for their colonies in the Americas, they gave them new names, part of an effort to erase their identities. Naming is often wedded to resource extraction. We name both the ecosystems we want to save and the terrains we want to demolish. The naming denotes differences in utility. The preservation of rainforests, for example, is often classified as important only when those rainforests and the biodiversity they shelter are presented as standing reserves of medicines, foods, and resources for our use. The construction of gender as nested within the new global technocratic state and late stage capitalism is a type of naming as control, classifying us at birth. No wonder claiming a new name, never mind non-binary pronouns, is often experienced as freedom. We escape the imposed names and strictures of our parents, our institutions, our cultural oppressions by attempting to own ourselves with the magic of a self-generated nominal. <sighs> so let's let that reading um, be a prompt for embodiment, for an Aries season embodiment, and take a moment wherever you are, how you are, and bring your attention inwards. Sometimes it can help to close your eyes. Feel your breath. And just notice what it feels like in this moment to be you. Notice shifting temperature and qualities of weight and texture. Notice the places in your body that feel pain. Notice places that feel neutral. And then notice any places that feel good where there is a sweet or enjoyable sensation. Feel your own energy. Breathe in and try and sense the most authentic essence that lives inside of you. How do you know you? Who are you? And then just experiment a couple of times naming yourself with the names that have been given to you. So you might say your own name. I'm Renee. 
You might also use the names of your embodied identity that have been put on you. <clears throat> I'm a white person. I'm a queer person. These may have been uh, names that have been put on you. They may be names that you've chosen for yourself. But in these names and categories, there's some kind of distinction or differentiation for you. And notice the sensation as you use that language, as you name yourself as such. And then feel the difference between whatever sensation emerges when you name yourself And when you just feel yourself, when you feel from the inside out, when you feel your essence and your breath and your present moment awareness, notice how names flatten, how they locate and direct. Notice how names connect with images and group mentalities how they may connect with memories or locations or behaviors. And I wanna invite you to feel that you can include these names and their associated states, but that you are also more. And I also want to invite you to feel how naming especially if you're a person like me who speaks the English language, a language that has been so deeply shaped by objectification and nounification and ownership. Notice how naming often turns you into an object, turns your complex multitudinous essence into a thing. Feel your own essence. Feel your own energy. And try and maintain awareness of your essence and your energy as you then perceive the environment around you, opening your eyes if they've been closed. and let your eyes land on another form, an embodiment, an encapsulation, a manifestation, a materialization. My eyes right now have landed on the book that I just read from. Whatever your eyes have landed on, tell yourself the name of what you're looking at. If you don't know the name, then describe it. And feel how the act of naming is also potentially an act of ownership. As I look at this book, I think I know what it is. I know what a book is. And then immediately I'm drawn into the utility of the book and the fact that I own this book. This book is for me. 
But now I want to come back into my own essence and consider the essence of the book, the energy of the book, the life of the book. And all of a sudden, I'm pulled into a multi-dimensional spectrum of relationship. All of a sudden, I feel that the book is a conduit and a connection. And it's a connection not just to its author, but to everyone who has informed the author, including the humans and the multitude of more-than-human relationships that she speaks of. And this book is also a connecting strand uh, with everybody else who's reading the book and with the emergence of collective consciousness that is surrounding the birth of this book into the world, that there is a readiness right now for this book to be here. When I feel this being, this form, as all of that, my relationship changes and how I feel myself in relationship changes. So throughout Aries season, I invite all of us, definitely including me, to question and sense into names and naming and ideas of who and what and how get encapsulated by concepts. And I invite an inquiry into the encapsulation and into the conditions of encapsulation and into the curiosity of what else is here. What other truths, what other stories are present? What has been obscured? What is entirely embedded? What does this being mean for a larger body that surrounds it? Can our relationships become more multidimensional and complex? Less confined to boxes? And inside of these relationships, can we practice looking for opportunities to nurture and care? Not as saviors, not as the ones who will absolutely have the answer or the fix but as humble servants in devotion to one another and in devotion to the spaces between us and the environments that we share. So I want to read now from another book. This is a wonderful book. You may have heard of it already. You may have this book too. Love and Rage, The Path of Liberation Through Anger by Lama Rod Owens feels like Aries season reading. This is from page 22. Lama Rod writes, In activist communities, our relationship to anger is immature, ill-informed, and overly romanticized. We manipulate anger as a false source of energy and inspiration. Many of us have no idea how to really use anger to see the changes we need to see in our communities. Our relationship to anger is a reactive and compulsory one. We feel the anger and respond. When I'm asked to illustrate this point, I talk about finding yourself in a burning room and reacting to the danger by jumping out of a window to escape. You didn't have time to think about how far up you were, what you would land on. You just reacted to the fire and split. This is how I see our compulsory relationship with anger. Jumping out of a burning room with no space to think of where you might land. Maybe the room is on the ground floor and you jump out onto land. 
Maybe the room is several stories up and you jump out and maybe you land and don't get hurt too badly. Or maybe you jump out and like in a movie, luckily land on a stack of hay or in water. Or maybe you jump out with no way to break your fall and you hurt yourself. When we're just reacting to anger, we have no idea if this reactivity will be harmful or beneficial to ourselves or others. It is this energy that distracts. We think it is crucial to our work on activism, but it is not. Our being pissed is an indicator that there is something off. However, it is love that directs and motivates me because it is the love for myself and others that helps to maintain the humanity of everyone involved in my work to challenge injustice. When I am rooted in love, anger reveals itself as trying to point us to our hurt. And when I am taking care of my hurt and loving at the same time, the energy of anger becomes an energy that helps me cut through distractions and focus on the work that needs to be done. The great activism needed today entails bridging our personal grieving with the grieving of our communities. Our anger arises over our pain and is only pointing back to our pain. To hold space for our pain is a way that we begin to take care of our pain. Taking care of our pain softens our hurt as we do the work of empathizing with others. Empathizing with ourselves makes it easier to empathize with others around us. This empathy is at the root of the love and compassion that will begin to disrupt the systems that create harm. If we refuse to acknowledge our hurt, we will never understand how to relate to our anger in such a way that we are not reacting to it. If we're always just reacting to our anger, we will never be fully empowered in our agency to channel the energy of anger into clarity and directness while reducing harm. I want to see a culture of activism where we can celebrate our anger and rage while realizing they are not the issue. <sighs> All right. So that reading uh, for me really helps support uh, a lot of the sentiment that I've been trying to speak to in the relationship of the cardinal signs which are activated right now, Aries, Cancer, and Libra. There is a planetary pileup in Aries. There are eclipses that are happening here. There is a lot of anger, and a lot of this anger is a very reactionary. And reactive anger can be motivating, but it is often unconscious and ineffective. When episode after episode of awful keeps happening, and we are reacting to every episode, at some point, the reactionary energy becomes too depleting to sustain. We've certainly seen this over the last three years since 2020, huge uprising, 2020, lots of people really activated. The same kinds of awful are still happening. The original problems have not been fixed. There is still a grotesque amount of police violence, specifically against black and brown communities. There are still militarized police. There is still more funding going to police than there are to actual services that people need. But activism has waned. The reactionary anger, the impulse to fight back is tiring. It's hard to sustain. And it's hard to sustain if you're being assaulted all the time. And it's hard to sustain if you're not. And if, again, if you happen to live in a body that has some amount of advantage or privilege to the extent that you feel kind of safe or safe enough, that when episodes of awful happen, maybe you feel pissed, 
but the awful isn't happening directly enough on your body or in your community. And so at some point it's like, oh, that's tiring. I can't focus on it anymore. It's hard to sustain. If our activism is rooted in anger, we won't be able to sustain it. And not only will we not be able to sustain it, but we will become more harmful to ourselves and more harmful to others. And the anger running through our body will produce chemicals in our bodies that will then create increased conditions of inflammation. This is not helpful to us and it's not helpful to the world. How do we anchor our activism in love? How do we look for the places where we can nurture and care? We have to get out of the concepts to some extent and into our bodies, into the practical work here on earth. Carlin Bradley and I are starting a five-week series tonight, March 21st, um, Tuesday, Mars's day. We're going to be teaching for the next five weeks on Tuesdays, or I said teaching, but I meant facilitating, uh, a community space where we're looking at the relationship of astrology and activism. We don't want to tell you what kind of activism uh, you are here to do or what kind of activist you should be at all. Uh, we want to let astrology help us feel into the ways that each of us uniquely gets activated and can be active and activating in the world. Our modes and styles of activism also should sustain us and feel inspiring and generative and life-giving and affirming. If they're burning us out all the time, they're not sustainable. In this series, uh, we're really going to be feeling into activism and love, activism and sustainability. If you are interested, come join us. Please be part of this research and this project. Okay, last thing I'm going to read and then a final embodiment uh, practice. This is from the book Joyful Militancy, Building Thriving Resistance in Toxic Times by Nick Montgomery and Carla Bergman. And I want to say thank you, thank you to Devin Riley who gave me uh, Sophie Strand's book that I first read and who also suggested this book that I'm about to read from. So this is from chapter two, page 125, the active shaping of our worlds together. What makes people fight for each other, support each other in radical ways and construct durable loving bonds? What makes it possible for people to sever or dissolve stifling attachments or relationships? We do not think that the answer is ideology. Abstract political values might support short-term alliances, but we doubt their capacity to be the glue that holds people together in the long term. Instead, we suggest that strong relationships are the foundation of resistance. Recovering and sustaining deeper forms of friendship and kinship are indispensable for undoing empire's hold. Sometimes divisions get in the way and people hurt each other too much too often. Sedimented habits continue to grip us closing off potentials for being otherwise together. Maintaining transformative relationships is not easy in a world full of violence, in which empire continually induces us to construct flimsy relationships based in leisure and abandon them if they are no longer pleasurable. We can't all be friends, and some forms of life will never be compatible. This is the ethical basis of the logic of affinity as well. 
It can never be a totally inclusive, come one, come all process, because this would mean welcoming the worst of empire and all of its toxic ways of relating. Some differences might mean that people cannot work together. Maybe. Differences might also signal potentials for practices, orientations, and priorities that are resonant and complementary without becoming the same. Differences might then become starting points for new complicities and the growth of shared power. If relationships are what compose the world and what shape our desires, values, and capacities, then freedom is the capacity to participate more actively in this process of composition. Friendship and resistance are interconnected. When we are supported, we are more willing to confront that which threatens to destroy our worlds. Friendship and affinity are not things, but processes and open questions, which produce partial responses, further questions, flashes of certainty and confidence, but never definitive answers. The work of coming into relationship and caring for one another is not easy. And especially in the world that we live in, where so many of our differences have been actually weaponized against ourselves and against one another, and our communities have been built over time and systematically to keep us apart. And there are enormous misperceptions and misunderstandings between us and our different identities. It is really hard, I want to say, to care for one another effectively right now. And so much comes up in the spaces of difference. So much that is ancient and twisted comes up in those spaces. So much karma is there. Eclipse times are times of ripening karma, where the past has created the conditions of the present and karma has ripened. Will we continue in the same way with the same patterns and the same behaviors or will we do something different? It is easy to do the same thing. If we have practiced it, if it has been practiced and taught to us, it is easy to do it again and again because it's normal and normal is often unconscious. It slides below the surface of consciousness. When things are challenging, as they will be with Mars and Cancer square to everything in Aries, when there's challenge, that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to change. We can let the challenge and the discomfort work us from the inside, build more capacity for the work that we are here to do which ultimately, I believe, is loving ourselves and loving each other. So my final uh, offer for this episode is another embodiment practice. And this is a practice that I find incredibly helpful when I'm trying to relate with people and when I'm trying to relate with myself at the same time. And the idea of staying centered in oneself in relationship is something that we've probably all heard and to some extent maybe practiced, but it is incredibly challenging. I don't know if this is true for you, but I find it really challenging. And I find it very challenging to stay in my own center when I am uh, confronted with uh, hurt feelings. If I've hurt somebody's feelings or if their feelings are hurt and hurt is between us, I find it hard to stay in my own center. I find it hard if there's anger. I also find it hard if there's a lot of projection or need or a kind of clinginess or graspiness. I find it hard if I feel insecure. I find it hard if somebody's being controlling or if I'm being controlling, right? 
so many opportunities to fall out of my own center. And so the feeling of centeredness somatically allows for a centeredness mentally and emotionally. Our body, mind, hearts work together. So this is a practice uh, that works with the places of um, association in our bodies with Aries and Libra. Aries um, is said to reside in the upper portion of the head and your brain and your forehead and the space between your eyebrows and in your eyeballs. And so if you imagine feeling kind of activated in a way that let's say produces some kind of intensity or anger as it's an Aries theme, can you just imagine that, imagine being pissed and notice what happens in the front of your face. When I get pissed, I furrow my brow and my eyes become more projecting and hard, like the direction of my eyes moves out. I also feel a gravitational shift inside my actual head towards my forehead. So there's a lot of forward moving head energy if I feel angry. I can also feel a lot of clenching in other parts of my body and a sense of disembodiment. A lot of times anger for me uh, separates me from my body and I get way more into my head than in my body. The area of the body that Libra is said to reside in is the area of the kidneys. Your kidneys are in your back body and they are the most posterior organs actually. And so if you bring your hands to uh, your back close to your bottom ribs or around the height of your belly button at either side of your spine, this is where your kidneys are. And your adrenal glands rest on top of your kidneys. And when you get stressed out, or activated, your body produces cortisol and adrenaline. And these are some of the stress hormones that then if you live in a state where they're being produced a lot, will ultimately lead to higher rates of inflammation in your body and deterioration of your tissues and other kinds of conditions that might feel like irritability, insomnia, uh, organ dysfunction, etc. So let's just take a moment and feel into our back bodies. And I want to invite you to imagine that your breath can expand and spread your back. And then as you exhale, that you can release from your back into the earth. And so we want to invite a downward moving flow and a relaxation and a softening around the kidney area. Now, if you were feeling uh, angered or agitated and your face and forward moving energy in your head and your face did the thing that I described a minute ago, this practice of tuning in with the uh, Libra placement of the body and really widening, broadening, breathing, relaxing, and then releasing is an immediate kind of antidote to feeling uh, forceful, angry, or aggressive. This can really help in moments of activation to just come into your back body. Sometimes I imagine a supportive presence at my back. I alternate between uh, supportive hands from my favorite friends or maybe uh, a tree or a rock, a being 
that has a very still co-regulating presence. And then releasing downwards through the body and into earth, letting head energy drain. Whew. That hot-headedness that Aries can bring, just letting it cool down and drain. Now, the other side of this energetic pattern, which is sometimes more of a manifestation of a Libra overdrive, can be a freeze and appease kind of uh, situation. And so this can often be a shrinking in the body. And this is certainly a response I have often to other people's anger. And if you have ever experienced this, like someone being very projective towards you, there might actually be a kind of collapse in the front body and a spilling out through the Libra area, through that mid-back, and then a shrinking. So the eyes might become downcast, or uh, as the chest collapses back, it, it can feel harder to actually feel upright and dignified in our bodies. And that shrinking and collapsing pattern can be really strong for some of us. <clears throat> so here I want to invite earth energy to move upwards uh, from my legs and into my pelvis. And I want to invite a supportive energy now to move towards my back body from the space behind me. And again, I have the sense of a supportive presence, loving hands, my favorite tree. And now I want to let that support rise up into my heart space. And from my heart, I want it to lift up into my head. And here I might imagine a kind of gleaming crown or light emitting uh, through my forehead and up through my crown. And not just through the forward moving part of my face or my eyes, but also through the back part of my head. This for me helps me in times when I need a little bit more energy or a little bit more confidence. So as you move through your Aries season, relational activations, however you might experience them or find them, notice in your own body if there's a tendency to uh, become imbalanced literally towards the front or the back. Do you spill out into the back? Do you thrust forward into the front? Notice forward, backward moving energy or projecting and retreating energies in your eyes or your face, in your belly and your torso and your chest. And then play with uh, just gentle support and internal awareness that can help open up space internally. A lot of times these activations feel really flattening and that's literally what they're doing when we get really uh, activated and we feel our sympathetic nervous systems clicking in and the Aries-ness of the I-ness, you know, our I-ness often gets activated when we're needing to protect or defend. And I-ness is flattening. It doesn't allow us the complex multidimensionality of our uh, limitless relational capacity. It pushes us into a very flat, rigid kind of situation. So play with your breath and play with imagery. Bring light into your body. Bring flowers into your body. Bring song into these spaces. Imagine supportive presences around you and feel your relationship, your birthright, your inherent connection to the ground. This earth is the source of all life and all power. 
And if you want to resource, find that connection, feel that it can move both up into you and that it's also something that you can invest in. You don't need to hold all of what's uh, been stimulated in your body. You can imagine releasing that into the earth. Trusting that as you release energy into the earth, your personal um, residue in that energy does not get translated into the earth. You releasing your anger and letting it go down doesn't then give anger to the earth. It just gives energy. And then it allows you to feel a little more spacious so that you as a being on earth maybe don't have to be an embodiment of that anger and that temporary state. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. I hope any or all of that is helpful for you in Aries season. I didn't talk so much about the eclipses. I meant to say more. I also meant to talk about Pluto moving into Aquarius on March 23rd. This is a huge deal. The last time Pluto moved into Aquarius was 1778. But Pluto will have an ingress into Aquarius just into the first degree this year. It'll retrograde back. It'll have another ingress next year. And then finally, when it moves into Aquarius uh, next November, it'll be there for 20 years. So I'll have plenty of time to talk about that. I'll have plenty of time to talk about Saturn and Pisces. Although, if you're interested in working with Saturn and Pisces, please check out Sherry Taylor's workshop, Gravity and Grace, a mythopoetic inquiry into Saturn and Pisces. This is a four-session series that Sherry is facilitating with Embodied Astrology throughout the year, and so far it has been nothing short of magical. Sherry is a death doula, a dream worker, a clinical psychologist, a teacher of psychology, a mystic, an astrologer, an artist, an incredible and compassionate human being who's also hilarious and really fucking smart. And her class on Saturn and Pisces was so good. I learned so much. And I feel very supported in a way that I did not feel before about this transit. So you can check that out. Embodied Astrology has workshops all year that are creative applications of astrology in synthesis with other modalities, allowing you to experience astrology through your felt sense. You can join me every Monday in the Embodied Astrology somatic space for experiential explorations of astrology, where we don't really talk about it, we feel it, we practice it through movement. And for me, this is really one of the most effective ways to engage with astrology is to bring it in my body. Then I really start to understand it. Then the concept comes down to earth, so to speak. Once a month, uh, in the membership spaces, there are astrology tea time gatherings. This is a great place to learn about your own chart, to interpret with other people. Astrology happens in so many ways. It manifests in people's lives in wildly similar yet vastly different ways. And it is fascinating to work with transits together and hear how many people are having similar experiences in totally different ways. And if you are interested in learning astrology and learning to read charts, I cannot recommend this kind of space enough. So if you're interested in any of that, you can find more information on the Embodied Astrology offerings at embodiedastrology.com. And if you're interested in how this Aries season will be affecting you, then please check out your season ahead readings. Um, I offer month ahead horoscopes at the beginning of each new zodiac season. They're usually about 20 minutes long for every single sign. 
And I don't give a lot of astro information or necessarily talk about like what's happening in the world. I really try and focus on you, your body, your life experiences, relationships, and how to engage with astrological energy for the best benefit for you and for your relations. So truly, I hope that anything that I offer serves you in your uh, deepest well-being and in your happiness and in your um, fulfillment here in this life. Thank you so much for listening. I'm wishing you all the best in Aries season and beyond. Bye for now.